pearls were accidents, and the finding of one was luck, a little pat on the back by God or the gods or both. John Steinbeck. Welcome to this week's episode of Warfare Advancement Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I'm your host. I'd like to thank everyone for joining me this week. Um, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, uh, welcome again, and uh, I hope you enjoy. Uh, we do have quite a few episodes in the backlog to listen into as well, and if you've been following uh, faithfully, or at least semi-faithfully, uh, thank you for coming and listening again. Um, before we get to the meat of this episode, I do want to say that um, where I host my podcast, rss.com, um, they've added a feature to publish videos directly to YouTube. Um, what I had been doing is creating my own little, just uh, merging the audio with a still image of my logo, and then scheduling that to be uploaded as a video uh, at the same time that my podcast is live. However, RSS, literally the day after the last episode went live, um, added that feature directly to the to the lead. So I'm going to try that out and see how it works. Um, so this may be delayed on YouTube a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how that works via scheduling. Um, but if it is delayed, don't worry about it too much. I'll, I'll get it... Um, taken care of and if it's going to be like a big problem i'll just continue doing what i've been doing so um but yeah so just keep that in mind if you're uh if you're one of the people that are listening on youtube this may just be like a temporary thing while i work out some kinks or if it's going to be a major problem i'll just revert and keep doing what i'm doing but for now let's go ahead and get on into this episode uh, now, we are going to return to the mainland uh, of Asia from our island hopping, and we will be talking about life and the people living in what is now uh, southern China, um, specifically uh, the provinces of uh, Yunnan, Guangdong, Guangxi, Fujian, and um, uh, Hainan, uh, which is a small island off the uh, coast of uh, mainland China. Uh, and I, I mentioned, I think, um, Guangdong, Guangxi, and Fujian last time. Uh, I forgot to include the other two. Um, and these are modern names of the southernmost provinces of modern-day China. So uh, this will also cover the area where um, modern Hong Kong occupies. But the city itself isn't a province, um, but also a special, but it, it's a special administrative di district. Uh, at least for now, you know, given the CCP's recent actions and desire to eliminate, you know, any and all independent or divergent ideas when it comes to political governments or any, you know, slight deviation of cultural norms, I wouldn't be surprised to see them attempt to modify or perhaps fold some of the uh, special status of Hong Kong into Guangdong. Uh, the area Hong Kong now occupies shows very little evidence of um, Homo sapien habitation at the point we're discussing. I think some stone tools and the like that date back to around 30,000 years ago. However, um, these are very you know small in number. They look like they were discarded due to just uh, them being overused. Um, but it won't see widespread... Uh, human occupation 
and use until around 4000 BC. So we won't really be talking about Hong Kong until, uh, or what is now modern Hong Kong until uh, future uh, episodes. Though the people who do spread into the area will be descendants of some of the peoples uh, that we'll be talking about in this episode and uh, the next uh, couple of main episodes. Now, uh, I went into a little bit of geography and etymology about China last season, so I'm going to try and make sure I don't repeat myself on some uh, names and the like, but I might, so bear with me. Um, I'm going to try and cover... um, new stuff and just briefly talk about things um, maybe I've already touched on. Uh, So we're going to go ahead and begin with uh, Yunnan uh, in the far southwest of China. Uh, Now this is one of the more geographically and biologically diverse of the country's provinces uh, both when it comes to um, biodiversity and geographic features. Um, it houses a small part of the Shan Highlands that we talked about when discussing um, Myanmar and Thailand. Uh, it's also the home to a number of sizable lakes, um, the most prominent being Lake Dian, and uh, the headwaters of several rivers form in this region, including some that flow into Southeast Asia, as well as some that you know, feed southern China. And each uh, with your own variants of fish, fowl, plants, what have you. Um, so it should come as no surprise that this region helped a number of human groups develop uh, s- distinct identities uh, from relatively you know, uh, close neighbors. Uh, there's a lot of internal diversity in the region. And I'll dive into this more when we discuss languages, but to kind of give a preview of how things will play out, China's government um, today recognizes, uh, I believe it's 55 uh, minority ethnic groups, and 25 of those have some level of uh, population that exists in Yunnan. Um, the, geogra- uh, the, the, the geography of the region it lends itself to uh, small, tight-knit communities. Um, now, for the etymology of Yunnan itself, uh, this is very heavily debated, apparently. Um, the modern rendering of the name, though, comes from the, at least the, the characters for the modern uh, Chinese spelling of the uh, name it means uh, South Cloud Province, specifically uh, Yun meaning South and uh, um, Nan meaning, uh, no, sorry, Nan means South, Yun means Cloud, or Clouds in this case. Um, but how, you know, how long that has been the case uh, is, a, is again a matter for debate. It's also possible that... Um, that the name could have, you know, uh, come into Chinese from like um, a different one of the local languages spoken there, uh, and they just kind of adopted it. Um, but again, we'll dive more into that kind of thing later when we talk about um, the Chinese uh, colonization of the region, um, because that's kind of a very interesting subject. 
Um, but that won't happen for quite a while. Now, the humans living in Yunnan at our current time period, um, 8,000 to 6,000 BC, BCE, um, of course, still live as hunter-gatherers. Um, but due to the biodiversity and freshwater sources, they're not nearly as nomadic as other groups. And they also have access to a large amount of wood, uh, which they use to build you know, small structures or, or shelters. Um, this stands, you know, in contrast to a lot of the places we have discussed uh, this season um, that are beginning to uh, practice a sedentary lifestyle. Of course, uh, the Middle East, the Indus Valley, and uh, Northern East Asia uh, when we get there. Um, these people used mud bricks, either fired or non-fired, uh, because while they had access to more forests and wood sources than you know, they do today, um, it was still a resource that was much more vital for tools, heating, and and light. Um, so, you know, this place, though, does not have that issue. They probably would never have run out of, um, you know, usable trees uh, with their amount of population and that kind of thing. Uh, excuse me, um, lost my place in my notes here. Um, uh, now, so I, I wasn't able to find much information in English about specific sites for this region, uh, but the information I could find uh, points to groups that favored smaller communities due to them favoring hunting and fishing as opposed to um, the early and incipient forms of agriculture that began to kind of take off in other riverine and lakeland inhabiting peoples. Um, there are no sites like Marigar or uh, Jericho, uh, at least in this part of China. Uh, they aren't trying to form these larger-scale communities. They prefer these smaller, uh, more decentralized bands. Uh, the reason for this is um, probably due to uh, weather. Uh, patterns and uh, the growing season. Um, Yunnan uh, has a very long growing season uh, because it does have very nice moderate springs and summers and you know again a large amount of water and good rainfall too. Um, there is a distinct amount of easily workable land uh, that is fertile. It's a very mountainous region. So there weren't places that were easy to cultivate or till and prepare the soil um, with at least the level of technology they have, stone and bone and wood tools. Um, of course, as time goes on, this will change when they get you know better uh, agricultural implements uh, from other places. But even once that happens, there's still a very limited amount of arable land. Uh, this is why uh, things like um, wild nuts, like uh, chestnuts, hazelnuts, remain you know fairly sizable parts of the diet in the region over uh, wild grasses, grains, uh, and things like that. Until more you know those more specialized farming equipment and draft animals uh, become available in the region. Um, there are also some specialized plants that bear mentioning. Uh, 
Now, as of now, it seems a lot of evidence points to Yunnan as the probable origin point of tea cultivation. Um, but that doesn't start until much later. And wild tea and wild tea leaves grow all through um, the regions we've talked about the last couple of weeks, Southeast Asia uh, and other parts of China. So um, while it may start later and this may be the first place that they're beginning to experiment with, um, you know, there's a high level of uh, regional diversity that means a number of varieties probably originated from this region, but that other regions had their own kind of tea practices uh, that kind of evolved. And eventually they'll, of course, cross-pollinate each other, that kind of thing, and both in terms of um, ideological um, and then actual cross-pollination between different strains. Um, another recent uh, kind of... Um, development and study about the region shows that um, cannabis um, was probably beginning the slow first steps to domestication in this region. And uh, that's beginning right around the start of um, our current season's timeline, uh, 8000 BC. Um, now this isn't 100% agreed on, but uh, I read a paper in 2003 by McKim et al., that reported, uh, you know, actual archaeological um, remains of used plant particulates uh, and deliberate cultivation to 4000 BC, which uh, was on par with some of the earliest uses and growing of the plant in Central Asia, uh, which is where the plant originated uh, naturally. Uh, but then there was a more recent paper uh, in 2007 by Long et al., uh, found they found some evidence of use in the region as early as 8000 BC. Though obvious, I think that humans were most likely experimenting with cannabis as soon as they encountered it and found its mind-altering effects. Uh, the same way humans have always done with various forms of substances like overripe fruit, mushrooms, um, and even actions, you know, spinning in place, flipping upside down, uh, that sort of thing. So, um, they may have, uh, begun that slow horticulture into agricultural process, uh, with a couple of local plants, uh, cannabis being one of them. Uh, but again, that's kind of debated. Uh, and if it is starting at this time period, it of course will not hit full swing until much, much later. Uh, well, or at least for us, it'll be next season. Now, uh, leaving Yunnan to the east, we reach the modern provinces of Guangxi and Guangdong. Uh, in Mandarin Chinese, Guangxi means uh, the vast or expansive west, and Guangdong means the vast or expansive east. Um, we will talk about other names for the region uh, in other episodes, but know that these are Chinese terms, and they are relative latecomers to this region. Um, we had actual historical records written uh, about their colonization of this region, which we will one day discuss, much like we will the same for Yunnan. Now, today Guangdong is China's most populous province, and this is primarily due to the Zhujiang River, uh, and this translates as Pearl River. Um, it is the primary river 
or of a network of rivers known as the Pearl River Delta. Uh, its tributaries come from uh, Yunnan uh, and Vietnam in the west, and the uh, the next set of provinces to the north of um, the ones we'll be talking about uh, for the next couple of weeks. And it is near a few of these tributaries that we have found evidence of kind of a, an emergent, continuous material culture that stands out from standard, traditional hunter-gatherer lifestyles. Uh, this culture was situated around the uh, Xingpian Caves in Guangxi. Uh, the characters of these caves translate on Google as retort rock, but when you break it down character by character, it might translate better as a steamer cave or a cave that looks like a rice steaming pot. And, um, you know, just one of those odd quirks of language and archaeology and that kind of thing, you know, it made me think of Potbelly Hill uh, about Gobekli Tepe. Uh, and how the hill looks like a cooking implement as well. It's just one of those little fun uh, kind of uh, cosmic coincidences. Um, but uh, again, that may just me, you know, me being too literal with my translation. I just think it's one of those uh, fun things. Um, now, it's not 100% clear, but this may have been a seasonal dwelling location. Um, the cave, or the primary cave in this kind of group is around 2,400 square feet, which is around 220 square meters. Uh, but there are smaller caves in the network that were used as um, either middens or burial grounds. Um, all of which, uh, or at least most of the buried uh appear to have been buried in a squatting position. And this is actually something you'll see in several places in the world around this time and even uh, in later periods. Um, corpses buried uh, curled on their sides or squatting like they're an infant in the womb. Uh, at least that's the common interpretation that you see for this is that they are being placed in this position so they can be born into the next world. And this culture is referred to as the Jingpian culture. Now, this is kind of a very rough term to define exactly. Uh, humans were using the cave at least as far back as 12,000 years ago. Uh, now, when it comes to uh, the Jingpian culture emerging, that is, again, a matter of debate. Um, the earliest, it, it appeared, uh, would be around 7,000 B.C., and the latest it emerged would be around 6500 BC. Uh, and this is contemporary with several regional groups or regional cultures further north uh, that we will get to eventually. And it shares some small similarities with certain artifacts with these groups living further north. Um, what this means is that either they share a common ancestry and tool-making tradition uh, before they separated and developed different techniques or tools, or that they had some level of trade by intermediate groups between them. Um, and by that I mean these groups lived in you know various places between their uh, the two cultures or the two or three cultures heartlands. Of course, I guess it's also possible that this is just a random coincidence. But due to the relative closeness, 
I don't think that's the case. Um, I, I think it's more likely that they, you know, had close interaction and trade ties with each other. Uh, but whatever exactly the case may be, uh, by the time we are focusing uh, on this culture is isolated from these uh, others more. Um, why that's happening is probably due to a number of factors. Um, probably due to a changing environment. Um, and I'll talk about that more in a minute. Uh, but what... Um, what they do have at Jingpian uh, is that they have true pottery, which, if you recall, first shows up in the archaeological record further north, around 12,000 years prior to 8,000 BC. Um, however, unlike these larger examples found in the Jianren uh, Dong caves, these pots show development. Uh, they do have larger ones used mainly for cooking, but they also have pots that are made smaller. And there is evidence that they were used for storage in addition to cooking. Um, I think several of the remnants of pottery found in the cave show that they may have been used um, for uh, mass or long-term storage of um, snail shells. Um, which, um, you know, that kind of ties into uh, these people. Uh, as you might expect for humans at this time, they were not very picky picky eaters. Um, their cave's location up in the mountains was close to a few rivers, and they had access to a wide variety of foods. Um, I think over a hundred different varieties of animal bones have been found. And of course, these include small mammals, um, birds, reptiles, uh, as well as larger game like deer and boar. Um, they also had a large amount of freshwater snail shells, which is, again, is one of the things I mentioned. And this is something that lasts all through the occupation of the site. Another feature of this culture is that they have uh, Neolithic stone tools, you know, this new Stone Age uh, kind of toolkit uh, that they've evolved. It has these, it's, you know, it's kind of set off by things like smaller bladelets, uh, polished stone tools, uh, newer types of stone that may not be used for practical matters, but more decorative is another thing that shows up. Uh, but it seems that these people preferred to keep using bones and arrows for things. Or I'm sorry, they, they preferred to keep using bones for arrows and spears. Excuse me. Um, and this kind of shows one of the things that makes China a lot different from places in the Middle East or India. Um, these people are developing technologies at, in kind of a different order than you will see in other places in the world. They, they get the kind of the, the same point, but they do so in, in kind of a different way. Um, they're maintaining, you know, again, at least in the south, bone tools longer, uh, or at least for more hunting uh, pursuits. Um, and then they also are domesticating diff uh, animals differently from crops, or they, they're kind of doing it in a different order. Um, we've talked about how, um, you know, 
uh, it appears that there's evidence that cows may have been purposefully domesticated before crops. Uh, same thing with goats and sheep, but then it's also possible that, um, you know, it wasn't a conscious decision to change crops until uh, much later, even though they were already kind of managing these wild food sources. But that is, again, a matter that's kind of stuck up in debate and, um, you know, kind of the mysteries of time. Um, but it shows that China, these regional groups in the in China, or what is modern China, kind of have their own kind of style. And that kind of speaks to, again, the relative isolation that they have uh, two groups to um, in South Asia and uh, uh, the Middle East. Um, now the groups in Guangxi and Guangdong they don't have any like major uh, sites associated with them. There is no one like uh, proto culture. Um, there uh, they like people in Yunnan don't appear to be. Uh, organizing these large, you know, Neolithic communities, preferring instead, you know, again, smaller, more family-oriented uh, groups. Uh, so they, they will make uh, the progress to kind of small uh, seasonal villages and then just, you know, full-time villages and towns. Um, but they don't really get um, to too close to, like, a city um a city-based society, an urban society. Uh, that is something uh, that develops in this region much later, which we will talk about. Uh, there is evidence that rice cultivation may have begun in uh, these somewhere in these two provinces. That, again, is another matter that is highly debated. Uh, I will talk about that a lot more when we get to rice, uh, or when we get to our next set of domestication episodes when it comes to crops, uh, because rice is something that is, if it's not already begun, it is something that is uh, going to begin kind of in this time period. Uh, and it will be something that becomes much more important in the region uh, over you know, the next couple of, uh, uh, I guess, seasons focused here. And, of course, it's still important today. Uh, part of the reason that uh, this pop, uh, this province is so populous is because it is a very valuable breadbasket. Uh, and, you know, uh, rice is the driving uh, crop in the region. Uh, but it's also possible that rice could have been domesticated a little bit further north along the Yangtze, uh, which is something we'll talk about when we focus on that region. Um, the reason it's a matter of debate, the great, you know, the common uh, great narrative about uh, rice is that uh, it emerged along the Yangtze. That's the way it's been told for basically the entirety of human history up until fairly uh fairly re recently uh, with the advent of DNA testing. Um, you know, it developed... Uh, this, the common historical, uh, I guess, narrative is uh, that the uh, people living along the Yangtze River developed uh, rice and then they spread it out from there. 
Um, and that's very possible that that is the way it's happened. Um, but there is some new DNA evidence that, again, I'm going to dive really in-depth into this stuff in that domestication episode, uh, that it's possible that either uh, the wild strains of rice actually came from this region. And then it, uh, I guess, it took root, or the wild strains uh, were transported north, and they really flourished along the Yangtze. Uh, and then there are other strains of rice uh, in the south of China, or what is now South China, uh, then also were sent to uh, Southeast Asia and India, and they developed there. And then they, you know, so uh, it's possible that this was the origin point, but I think it's probably more likely um, that uh, it was kind of a dual uh, domestication event. Uh, Yang Getsi probably did it first, because again, there is still way more archaeological evidence that. Um, an earlier archaeological evidence, too, uh, that the Yangetsi has much more um, advanced rice-cultivating techniques and all that kind of stuff um, before it becomes, you know, um, a, a bumper crop here in the South. Um, but what I'm willing to bet happened, uh, at least based on all the evidence I've read up to now, is that... Uh, the group living along the Yangetsi uh, with these um, uh, larger uh, families and also them beginning to, I guess, that slow process of urbanization as opposed to uh, groups living in the south around the same time taking up agriculture. Uh, they're smaller. They don't really want to get bigger. Um, at least they don't seem to want to develop cities. They, they prefer instead to maintain these smaller groups. Uh, and both groups develop their own kind of rice cultures independently of each other. Um, but, you know, I'm sure there's cross-pollination. People trade seeds between things, you know, to kind of strengthen different varieties or breeds of uh, crops. And um, I believe that the crops grown further in the south are probably what got to India. Uh, the reason I say this is because, again, DNA evidence shows that for whatever reason, the strains or wild strains in uh, southern China are more closely related to the um, Indica strain of rice um, than the, I guess, the middle Chinese um, strains of rice are. Um, or at least they were have a more closely related common ancestor, for lack of a better term. Um, but again, I'm going to dive super in-depth on that in the future kind of domestication special. Uh, but it is, again, possible that rice has started here. Um, though, again, I personally believe it probably started in both locations around the same time. Um, and again, we'll dive into all that later. I'm kind of uh, uh, repeating myself at this point. <laughs> um, now, there is one more place I think I'm going to talk about this week. Uh, and this is um, the um, uh, province of uh, Henan. Um, 
and this is uh, connected via a peninsula in what is now modern Guangdong. And I just realized I have mispronoun uh, mispronounced the name of the island. Um, there is a province called Henan in China. However, it is further north. Uh, the name of the island is Hainan, H-A-I-N-A-N. Uh, -A -A um, the translation of its characters is South Ocean, uh, specifically, at least in Mandarin uh, uh, Chinese. Uh, it is connected, or I'm sorry, it is separated from the mainland by the uh, uh, Changzhou Strait. Um, and the peninsula it is apart from is the Lazio Peninsula. Uh, so if you look at a map, uh, you can see this island uh, to the very south of China with a very short uh, strip of ocean between them. Uh, that is the farthest southern Chinese province. Um now, uh, when this island is populated is, again, one of those things we're not 100% sure about. However, uh, it, is, it is known based on DNA evidence that uh, the, the genetic lineage of the people there probably go back sometime between, and again, this is a very big range, uh, between 27,000 and uh, 7,000 years ago. So... Uh, Right around 5,000 BC would be the absolute latest. Um, there are no big um, uh, material culture groups that stand out, uh, but it is just part of the you know the standard hunter-gatherer lifestyle of humans. Um, but that being said, I do think you know uh, this would be a very attractive place for a number of people, and. Uh, as far as I know, it is possible that um, this could have been connected uh, to China. I couldn't find anything for sure, but it's very possible that up until, you know, right around the end of the Younger Dryas, which is the, basically about 700 years prior to the start of this season, um, it's possible that this could have been connected via land bridge. Not that the humans living there couldn't have, uh, you know, sailed across it's a very short crossing in the grand scheme of things um so this is just a fancy way of saying we don't really know how long people have been living there however um we do have a fairly good idea and this is still home to a number of um indigenous groups um the han of course chinese are the primary uh demographic but there is a few others um living on the island and they're probably mostly descended from um the original inhabitants of the island um, and we will talk about um all this migration what groups are living in southern china it kind of deserves its own episode where i can just say okay these are the groups this is probably where they're all concentrated and this is where they're all going after this period and i will do that uh, I, f I figured it, it's the best way to talk about it because otherwise i'm going to keep mentioning these groups and just based kind of similar to how i'm reading everything you'll be like well weren't they also there and yes they will have been there um but there's a lot of overlap 
um, these peoples have probably been interacting for quite a while with each other. And again, there were probably periods where they were interacting with people further north. Um, but during, uh, in the next, when our season currently ends at 6,000 BC, sometime within the next 500 to 1,000 years, um, this region is going to see a little bit of a climate change. Uh, the tropical nature of the, it's going to become closer to a subtropical uh, environment. It's going to become a lot warmer, um, much more comfortable um, uh, weather uh, in the summer and spring, um, at least in what's Guangxi and Guangdong. Yunnan is actually not going to feel it too much. Yunnan's probably pretty standard to what it is uh, now. Um, but um, there is another factor I haven't really gone into, and that is flooding. This is something that's going to be a problem uh, for everywhere, uh, or all the main cultural material uh, centers in China uh, up until current day and age. Uh, floods are a constant, constant threat to these societies. Uh, and it's very possible that that's why we don't see large concentrations uh, in the south, at least um you know, until later periods, uh, they, the people living there may have decided it's easier to live, um, closer to where the rivers are forming rather than where they have, uh, all run together and created a larger, um, a larger body of water where in the North, maybe, um, people decided to risk it, um, because of the ability to help produce these large amounts of, um, uh, agricultural crops but uh, that's just me kind of guessing um and we'll talk more about that later um well that's kind of most of what i want to talk about i haven't really gone into fujian just yet um i think i'll cover that to kind of finish off this region and then we'll start to move north and talk about some of those other groups in china um i don't know that that's going to happen next week um we are running up here to the uh, 4th of July weekend here in America. Um, I have s taken a couple of extra days this upcoming week and the following week as well. My office is closing um, a little bit longer than normal because the 4th is on a Tuesday. Um, I plan to get at least one more uh, real primary episode out. Um, I don't know if it will be this week or the week of, uh, for the third, uh, basically. I don't know if it'll be on the 26th or the third, uh, but I probably will do a bonus episode, uh, on the 26th or the third. I'm not sure which one will come first, uh, so you guys will just have to be surprised with that. But yeah, uh, thank you all for listening. I hope you've enjoyed. Uh, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me at waradrevpod at gmail.com or you can direct message me on uh, Twitter or, of course, you can comment on any of my YouTube videos and I will respond at any of those places uh, as best I can. Um, and again, if you are a YouTube regular and this episode is delayed and doesn't come up at the normal time, uh, that is just a byproduct of me testing the auto-loading feature from RSS. So, um, 
please bear with me. Please have some patience, and I'll try to get everything squared away uh, as best I can. But yeah, thank you all for listening. I hope you have a good rest of your day and a good rest of your week. Have a good day. Goodbye.